Join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and let's talk together about the grace of giving. Few things are as significant in our lives as money. And as you're going to see, few things are as spiritual in our lives as money. Years ago, I remember as a kid, I had a wonderful uncle. And after a visit with him, sometimes he would shake my hand. And in his hand, he had folded up a $1 bill or a $5 bill. And it was just a lot of fun as a kid because that was fun money for me. Maybe like you as an elementary kid, I had no bills. Do you remember having no bills in your life? That's a long time ago for most of us. But yeah, you get $5, that's just money for candy. That's, that's money for a small toy. But then we grow up and our relationship with money changes dramatically. Now it's not so much a fun relationship with money. Oh, there, are, there are bills. And some would say that this is maybe the most stressful, anxious part of your life is the financial part of your life. It's a temptation to worry there. There might be those here though who say, no, no, money is a fun part of my life now. I, I've done really well with money. But you have another set of temptations perhaps, maybe toward greed, maybe toward a type of idolatry. In fairness though, some without much money, they might be the ones who make it more of an idol. I just gotta have more and it's all you dream about and think about. So I hope you hear already, there's something significant about money for us. And there's something very spiritual about how we relate to it. And so let's listen to the word of God now that deals with the topic of money, in particular giving. 1 Corinthians 16 verses one through four. <clears throat> now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Paul begins this section with the words now concerning. And this is how he's introduced new topics time and time again through our study of 1 Corinthians. Remember back in chapter 7 when he turned his attention to marriage and singleness. He said now concerning and he took on that topic. Chapter 8, that interesting topic of whether a believer can eat meat that was previously sacrificed to an idol. He says now concerning meat sacrificed to idols. And chapter 12, now concerning spiritual gifts. And now we come to this issue of giving. Verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints. So what is this collection and who are these saints? Maybe you're new to Christianity. You've heard that word saints out in the culture. And maybe you think that a saint is some kind of super duper religious person that dies. And then people start to pray to that person. Can I tell you, never do that. It would be sinful to pray to some human being who lived a pretty decent life here to pray to them for help, that would be sinful. You are to pray and trust in God alone. So clearly the scripture does not teach any such idea that a saint is a super Christian to whom you are to pray and ask for help. Unbiblical. But who are they then? Because it's a common word in the Bible. Well, this word saint in the New Testament refers to believers. Just an ordinary Christian is a saint. You say, who me? A saint? Yes. That Greek word that we translate saint here is the word hagias. And that word literally means a holy one. You think, well, how in the world can someone like me become a holy one? Through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, the Holy One, when you turn from your sins and you trust in Him because He died for your sins, He was raised from the dead. When you believed in Him, your sins were forgiven and you became a holy one in the sight of God. Not, not that you were perfect, you're, you've been cleansed. Listen, instantaneously at the same time you believed in Jesus, sin washed away, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ was credited to you. So you stand righteous in the sight of God, not through your work, through the work of Jesus, you are a holy one. So who are these saints though? Well, these are the particular believers in Jerusalem. And Paul is collecting an offering for them because they are poor in the church back in Jerusalem. There was a famine in that part of the world. That's what most scholars believe has happened here. There's a famine. All the people in that part of the world in Judea were struggling, but in particular, the believers in Jesus Christ persecuted on top of famine. It's difficult for them. And Paul was moved by the Holy Spirit to collect an offering for the struggling believers in Jesus Christ back in Jerusalem. Those that we could consider or they could have considered the mother church. All these churches now scattered across the Roman Empire. Oh, but we love those back in Jerusalem that we've heard about who were the first to believe. Paul dealt with this offering a lot in his writings. Here's another example in Romans 15, verse 25 and 26. The word of God says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So Paul is directing that the churches that have been planted across the Roman Empire, that they give toward this need back in Jerusalem. It's interesting in this chapter alone, we have five provinces of the Roman Empire mentioned. So if you look ahead, you'll see Galatia's mentioned here, Judea, Macedonia, Achaia, where Corinth is, and Asia. It's just fun to think about that for a moment, that just in the early decades of Christianity, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and the ascension back to heaven, the gospel is already spreading across the Roman Empire through Paul and others. And so already five provinces, even mentioned here, there are churches. And these churches care about churches in other provinces, particularly here, Judea here in Jerusalem. So the context here of this teaching on giving we're going to have here is in the context of this particular offering for the poor in Jerusalem. But I do believe there's application for us in the new covenant in all of our giving into the kingdom of God. I think there's help for us here. And the first principle I want us to consider is this. As it comes to our giving, we should give faithfully. Give faithfully. That's verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Do you notice the way that Paul, Paul talks about this offering? Here he is, an apostle of God, and he is inspired by God to instruct the believers in Corinth that it is right and it's expected that they would give to those in need. He's going to tell them in his second letter, in 2 Corinthians, that it shouldn't be just under compulsion. This would be something that they're glad to do, but certainly this is expected. And Paul feels very comfortable telling them, this is something, Corinthians, you should do. So we might pause here and ask the question, well, wait a minute, what gives God the right to tell us what to do with our money? Isn't it our money? And the answer is, no, it's not your money. You don't even belong to you, and your stuff doesn't belong to you. It's all his. First Corinthians 4, 7. We saw this a few months ago. What do you have that you did not receive? And we could talk about that in terms of 
our gifts and talents and things like that. What do you, what do you have that you did not receive? And we certainly would come to our money, but somebody might protest, wait a second, I have a great business mind and through the sweat of my brow, I have filled my accounts with money. This is mine. But let me ask you, where did you get that ability from? Where did you, where did you get that mind that could have a business acumen to it? So it's all from God. So you, you can't say God hands off my money because it's mine. God will remind you, but you are mine and everything about you is mine. Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. It's all his. Or Job 41.11, I love this. God says, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. So since it's all his, everything that you actually get to possess right now, it's all his, then it is only right that you should consult him about how you should use the money he has entrusted to you. And God will show you in his scripture that one of the major purposes of money is for giving. Now we see elsewhere in scripture, there are other good uses for money, certainly providing for yourself and for your family. That is also good and expected. And this money is also good for saving for future needs. That's also biblically wise to do. But there's no mistaking that a portion of the money that God has entrusted to you is for giving. And do you have that understanding? And is it showing up in the way you use money? A practical question. Is money leaving your wallet to help other people? Is money leaving your accounts to support ministry in Jesus's name? We read in the Old Covenant about many different offerings that they would give to help others. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 and following. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Or Psalm 37, 21, the wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. We read in places like Malachi, there were all these different spiritual offerings and tithes, and they were to give those to the Lord. Then we come to the new covenant. And we say, well, is there giving in the new covenant? Well, there certainly is. We have Paul being supported on his missionary journeys by other churches. Now, we saw, interestingly, here to the Corinthians, he told them earlier, I'm not going to take any money from you Corinthians. I'm going to work with my own hands as a leather worker, tent maker. But I've got other churches in other provinces supporting me on this mission to you. That seemed to be his practice. I won't take money from those where I am, but I'll take money from other churches so I can give the gospel free of charge wherever I am. So giving a big part of the New Testament and this offering. Collecting for the poor in Jerusalem, a theme that Paul brings up to multiple churches in multiple of his letters. And so we consider this, we are to give faithfully. And the best way to give faithfully is to make this a regular part of your life. It reminds you as you give regularly that you are a steward of God's money. When you give regularly, you're able to give as, a, as an act of worship, as an act of giving thanksgiving for what he's allowed you to have and how he takes care of you but also an indication to you, Lord, I understand I am a steward. This is your money. I want to give it wherever you lead. In fact, understand with me that giving faithfully is an important part of your discipleship. Imagine a believer who says, I'm going to be faithful to Jesus in every area of my life, 
but just not the area of finances. That's not much of a disciple at all. Because finances is a huge part of our lives, isn't it? You, you can't help but have to work and earn it and, and, and have to make it stretch. And all those things is a big part of your life. And so you and I want to be faithful in every area of life, particularly with our finances. We want to please him with our giving. We want his help in our finances. And so believer, first principle for us today is we consider this offering here, give faithfully. But secondly, give compassionately. Give compassionately. Our giving should come from hearts of love and compassion for others. Notice here are these churches, they, they care for others. So this is good for us. We need to remember when it comes to our concern for people, it shouldn't just end with our own blood relatives. You should care for them and take care of them as best you can. But your compassion should extend to others in the body of Christ that are not in your household. I care about all of God's people. And from this example, Lord, I want to care about people that in other nations who call your name, just like we see her modeled for us here. Give faithfully, give compassionately. This week, considering these provinces that Paul brings up, very encouraging to see how far the gospel indeed had spread. And these provinces are not close to each other. So encouraging to see the gospel spread and then how they cared for each other at great distances from one another. Consider this offering to get from places like Corinth all the way back to Jerusalem, that is hundreds and hundreds of miles and a very arduous, dangerous journey to get back there carrying money. And yet here's the compassion. They're in need. We need to do something about this. We are giving faithfully, but we're giving compassionately because of them. A consistent theme of the scriptures to give compassionately. Proverbs 28, 27, he who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. Proverbs 29, 7, the righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked does not understand such concern. We move into the New Testament and we see early on in the book of Acts chapter 6, this concern about the widows. There was a daily distribution of food and they wanted to make sure these widows were taken care of. Giving out of compassion, very much New Testament. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Or how about James chapter 2, verse 14? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Just one other example of this compassionate giving taught to us, 1 John three sixteen and following. By this we know love, that he lay down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So we know this, we're not to love money, but we are to love with money. We're to give faithfully. We're to give compassionately. Through the years, Joy and I have had occasions where we were the recipient of compassionate giving, particularly in our early years of marriage, particularly in those three years of seminary, and particularly in those three years where I was pastor of a small church in Alabama. And on occasion, having people give to us, by the way, it's very humbling to be on that side 
of the giving equation to be the one in need. So in seminary, in that final year, it was difficult. I worked as a janitor in a couple of car dealerships, a medical supply warehouse, and was a singles intern in a church. And just trying to get through that final year of seminary, we had a little baby. And it was tight and beyond tight. And I must have complained to my dad one day on the telephone and just was just kind of whining about what we were going through, I suppose. And he must have told my grandmother who then mailed unannounced a check to us and it was a check for $500. That's a lot of money now. But you can imagine those years ago to receive a check for $500 out of the blue. Well, I was, I was in tears, relieved, overjoyed. Joy's choked up too. She says to me, you got to call your grandma. And I was said something like, I can't yet. I'm going to have to get it together. You know, <laughs> I had to get the quake out of my voice. You know, well, absolutely. I called my grandmother to thank her. What, what a timely gift. Well, then after seminary, the church I pastored, a sweet country church in Alabama. And I believe in fairness, they pay me what they should have paid me. They paid me uh, what was probably reasonable for there. It just wasn't, it wasn't a lot and, and truthfully not enough. And I remember Joy in those days kept a, a ledger for us on, on green paper. Can you imagine doing a spreadsheet on a spreadsheet <laughs> that way? And so Joy, just to keep us out of debt, you know, she'd put our income in and, and then our expenses, our giving was first. And then just where does this money need to stretch? Just try to help us through. And so it's very, very tight. So some of you maybe who've gone year after year, check by check, month to month, we, we know that life. And it is, it is a strain. That sweet church in Alabama, by the way, still in touch with them. Talked to one of the members a couple of weeks ago. Sweet. But what they, what they didn't pay in the salary, sometimes they did make up for with produce from gardens. And so we, we enjoyed getting things from the gardens, except for the squash, you've heard me say. They, they would do that. Uh, toys and clothes for our daughter. We had one daughter at the time, Hillary, and they would give us some nice surprise things. Uh, one time they gave her, they, they said for us, but it was a five-gallon tub of ice cream uh, given to Hillary that we, I guess we got to eat some too. That was so sweet. One time that same man who gave us that, he's, he, uh, back in those days, I would preach in a suit all the time and he gave me money. I want you to go buy a suit. It's very sweet. Lots of small ways that they would kind of make up for the deficit in the, in the salary. They would do sweet things like that. But two, two really big ones that come to mind was uh, related to cars. And, and I probably have told this before, but I remember the time I had a car repair. We just had the one car. My car goes to a mechanic. And then um, I knew I'm gonna have to come up with some money. I don't know what it's gonna cost, but okay, you have to have to get your car repaired. When uh, the car showed up back in our driveway, I protested when the car arrived, like, well, I was gonna go get it. How much was it? And, and my friend there in the church said, don't worry about it. Well, that, that alarmed me, like, now this, this is gonna be significant. You can't do that. So I began to argue with him and my friend there in the church rebuked me. He said, Jim, you need to learn to receive graciously. I later learned, I hope I'm remembering correctly, there was like a $900 car repair. I mean, just crazy. And I don't know where we would have come up with $900, but, but what an amazing gift of love and compassion from that church member. Another occasion that comes to mind is it was around Christmas, that final year we were there before going to the mission field. And uh, the sweet couple in the church drove a car up into our driveway with a bow on it and gave us a set of keys. It was a used car, but it was a nice car that they gave so that Joy would have a car to drive around. We'd have two cars. Just amazing compassion of God's people. And just expressing uh, being on the other side of, of that at times, just very beautiful. You know, you meet people who are cynical about churches. They're cynical against Christians. I, I don't have that in me. 
I've seen the beauty and kindness of God's people over and over again. It's not just coming inbound, but I've seen it in my sweet church in Alabama, people loving each other like that. I've seen it here, people loving each other like that. It's just, it's just beautiful. Now let's talk about our church here. You know, we have love and compassion built into our budget here. So when you and I give offerings here, uh, there's compassion built in and we see it really in everything in the budget because it's all about us being here and making disciples and reaching in love. We talk about it all the time. But even in other ways, in the 100 line items, right there at the beginning of our budget, we call it the 100 line items, we have benevolence built into that. When we have a church member going through a hard time, they can, they can get some help to get through that rough patch through our benevolence funds that comes out of our, our regular giving. We support campus ministries there at VCU and U of R. We have pregnancy resource centers that we support, that, that work of loving moms and loving babies and protecting them. We have a big part of these 100 light items we call the cooperative program, and it does so much around the world. Supports missions all year long, by the way, but also things like Send Relief. That's that disaster relief ministry of Southern Baptist that we, we really like that helps in North America and all around the world. But that's, that's happening always through our giving. We've built compassion and love into our offerings. By the way, if you use the offering envelopes, many of you have gone online. There are ways to do it there too. But the offering envelopes, there's a line where you can give to World Hunger uh, every week if you want to. In addition to all your other gifts, you can give to World Hunger. So we're just talking about here, what are we learning from this passage in 1 Corinthians 16? We should give faithfully. We should give compassionately. But another principle here is we should give systematically. We should give systematically. This takes us back to verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So Paul did not want their giving to be last minute. Oh, Paul, yeah, he talked about that offering. Here he is. Let's try to scrounge together some money. Paul didn't want this to be leftovers. He wanted it to be a sustained emphasis in the life of the church. They would be bringing offerings at the first of the week when the church gathered. They would be storing that up so that when Paul came, it would be ready. And you can imagine it's a great idea. Certainly, there'd be more money to give to the poor in Jerusalem if it's going on regularly, systematically, rather than just at the last minute here. So beautiful example for us. So let me ask you, is your giving regular and systematic? This is, this is I think, very wise to do because it is such a priority for us. When you think about your family budget or you as a single, your budget, this would be something where you would think through, I, I want to be a regular systematic giver like I see example, the example here. And what you would want to do is decide first, this is what I believe God wants me to give. When, when Joy would do that paper spreadsheet in pencil uh, those many years ago, we just decided first, uh, here's what we want to give. This is now becomes an automatic part of worship, automatic part of generosity into the kingdom of God. One of the things I think is helpful about doing that is it ensures that you are a giver. I think even to this day, if we didn't decide up front that we we're going to be givers, I don't know what kind of giver we'd be today. Because something's always going wrong. I don't know if that happens in your house or not. Do things break at your house? Do you have car repairs that come out of the blue? Have you put kids through college? I mean, there's, if I were waiting for an opportune time to, you know, think, when it finally things get easier, I think we'll start becoming givers. We'd still be waiting. And so it just makes sense. I want to be a regular giving giver. I want to go ahead and make this the first thing that, I, that we think about and decide to give right up off the top, make it a systematic part of our lives. So we're to give faithfully, we're to give compassionately, we are to give systematically. 
but we're also to give proportionately. Proportionately. Did you see that in our text? Verse 2, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. Here it is. As he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So the, the New Testament measure of giving is as the Lord has prospered you. And rightly, we look in the Old Testament and we see a lot of talk about tithing. And, and we look at that and scholars will tell you it's really hard to determine how much the, the, the Jewish folks in the Old Covenant were giving because they had so many offerings that were required of them. Some would estimate that their giving might tabulate up to about 20% of their, of their giving. So you'll hear that from time to time. And then we, then we have to think through, well, what, what does the New Testament teach about giving? Well, so many of us look at this idea. Well, this is as God prospers you and informed by the Old Testament, we've used the tithe kind of as a starting point where you say, well, all right, I, I know I'm supposed to give as God prosper me. I, we're going to just start off with God's enabling. We're going to give a tenth and then see where it, where it goes from there. So will that be the floor of our giving? This is what many of us do. Let's let that be the floor of our giving, but not necessarily the ceiling of our giving. Because God may prosper some in much other ways where they should be giving even beyond that as the Lord prompts. So each believer should seek the Lord about his giving. That's the principle here. And that you and the Lord should pull aside and have an honest conversation with the Lord about, about what you're presenting to him. He owns it all. He's entrusted it to you. Then you're saying, all right, Lord, it's 100% yours. What do you want me to do with this? What kind of giver are you expecting me to be in light of all that you've given to me? Consider how he's prospered you and let him guide you in light of that prosper, the prospering he's done for you to give. What does that look like? And for some, they'll come to that exercise and discover, oh, 10% is far too small. I, I shouldn't be thinking like, let me give the minimum. God has so abundantly blessed me that the giving should be climbing above that. So the question as you consider things like that, how is your giving? Notice the text says here, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. That means everybody in the church at Corinth was expected to give. They have different abilities to give. Some were wealthy, some were struggling, but each proportionately as God has blessed them, they were going to be giving in here. You know, you already know this, but we are in a super generous church here. And I'm going to talk about evidences of that in just a moment. But it's possible in a super generous church like this to kind of hide and not be a generous person yourself. Now, the good thing is I have no idea who's generous, who's not generous. I don't want to know. If I tried to know, they'd tell me you can't know. I love our culture around here. Your giving decisions are between you and the Lord. And, and none of us know. Only our financial secretary keeps a track of that privately to give back to you at tax time. But none of us know. I have no idea what anybody gives except for what Joy and I give in the life of the church. But it is possible with all this giving and meeting budget and exceeding missions offerings, you, you, a person could just kind of lay low. Well, that's all being met. I don't have to be generous. But the scripture says this type of faithful, systematic, compassionate giving, this proportionate giving should involve all of us. And there's a great example for us in this in 2 Corinthians where Paul references the Macedonians. And in every stage of life, this has been an encouraging passage for me. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means. And as I can testify, 
and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. We're not accustomed to seeing words like abundance of joy with extreme poverty, but the Macedonians had it. We're certainly not used to hearing abundance of joy, extreme poverty, and an overflowing offering. But that's what the Macedonians did out of their need, begging to be a part of helping other poor people out of their own poverty. What a beautiful picture of grace. So believers, we want to be giving faithfully. We want to give compassionately. We do want to give systematically. Scripture teaches us to give proportionately. But one other word here, we should give carefully. We should give carefully here. And that takes us back to verses three and four. We should give, in other words, into ministries that we trust to handle it well. Verse three, interesting. Paul says very practically, and when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I love it here. Just puts out, we got safeguards here. He's just heading off anybody questioning his motives. Like somebody might think, well, what's, what, what Paul's really going to do with the money? He's collecting from all these churches. What's, what's he really up to? Is there any greed here? Paul says, absolutely not. You're going to collect it and your own people are going to take this gift to Jerusalem. I might go with them, but you're going to accredit people that you trust. They're going to carry the offering. Don't you love that? Paul wanted no questions about his motives. He wanted to he wanted to portray confidence in them on how this money is going to be collected, even how it's going to be carried to the poor back in Jerusalem. And we take this to heart ourselves as a church. We want to be trustworthy with what comes in here. And so we have safeguards. That's why every year we put into place people that you affirm in our business meetings, a finance team who are responsible for tracking how our giving is going and and uh, helping us with the whole budget process, by the way, a very open budget process around here, you know, September, particularly October, different ministry teams make their requests for what they think they need to do their ministry. Finance team looks at all that. Is this, is this prudent? Is this wise? And then a recommendation, all these things to the church and everything is there disclosed so that we together can affirm this is how we believe God wants us to spend money in ministry in the year ahead. We even have procedures related to the collection and the counting and securing of the offerings that come here. I mentioned already that we give away money from the church, 10 and a half percent we give away, and we want to give to partners in ministry that we trust. And among those partners is the International Mission Board. We have found them to be absolutely trustworthy and wise in handling these sacrificial gifts that we give to them. In fact, it's interesting, this past week, I was talking to one of the missionaries from our church serving out in Asia. And I don't know, we were talking about a lot of things about how things are going. And uh, I think the, the, the topic turned to some projects that he's involved in, and it got to the issue of money. And he said, we've got some funds that we're using for a project from Send Relief. And then he said, we actually have some money that's come in from Samaritan's Purse for this project. And then a local church in the U.S. also has contributed to this goal. And he, and he talked about how he has to give careful accounting to each of those entities for how that money is being spent. So tracking receipts and reporting back to that, which is just standard for how IMB does that. But in that conversation, he talked about, yeah, I do, I do this. It's not my natural gifting. It's, it's quite difficult um, and then, then we got to this conversation that I couldn't wait to relay to you because this might impact your life. 
He said, you know, it's really helpful to have on a, a mission team somebody who's really good with business, somebody who's really good with spreadsheets and bookkeeping. And so, because it, it drains the person who's not wired that way, they, they have to do it and they will do it faithfully as recipients of our offerings. But some people just have a knack for it. So, so here today for you, you thought to yourself, oh, I know I'll never be a missionary because I'm not a pastor type. He couldn't use somebody on the field who's got business accounting type skills. Oh, he, he can. You could be a part of a church planning team. You'll get to do the fun stuff of sharing the gospel, making disciples and planning the church. But you coming alongside with some of your business skills that you think aren't that impressive could be a great relief to a team. And so this week, maybe pray on that when, Lord, are you, are you calling me to join a church planning team, bringing all this accounting type of knack that I have? Absolutely. I'd love to talk with you about that. Hundreds of teams across the world would love to have somebody like you with that. So we, we, love, we love these partners that we can trust. Well, we've talked about a number of principles here. Let's celebrate for just a moment the extraordinary generosity of this church. I do, I don't, I mean, I do recognize what a, what an honor it is to preach to a church like this, this passage. I'm sure I have brothers all over the world. When they come to 1 Corinthians 16, they're preaching in a context where there's a lot of lack. There's a lot of struggle. And, and people are probably wondering, oh, he's preaching on money because we're hurting. You guys know the church here. The giving has been quite remarkable here. Let me just illustrate it. So we just celebrated that you surpassed our giving goal to international missions. Remember that goal was already ambitious, $170,000. But you gave $181,000 to international missions. Absolutely amazing giving that you did. And uh, talking to that same family on the field this week, I said, did you hear about how the church surpassed that goal? And this missionary in a very difficult place said, that is amazing. He said, please tell them thank you. He said, we're, we're the recipients of those gifts there on the front line of taking the gospel. But how beautiful is that? But also, this is the month here in February that our finance team tells us that they are paying off that building that we just recently built. So, in fact, I was looking through some of my records. I think we started collecting money for that building project back in 2012. And so some of you started giving as far back as that to get ready. By the time we broke ground, we had half the money for the building up front. We wanted to have all the building, uh, money for the building up front, but we had half of it, which is still very good. But our goal then was to within five years, pay it off. And here you've done it in this amazing, generous giving. I love it. While missions giving has increased, then paying off this building incredibly rapidly. And then even in your regular giving, uh, we've not lacked anything in the giving. And so it is just stunning what you have done, the generosity here. But is that reflective of your heart and your giving? As we said earlier, giving could be happening all around you. Others are caught up in the joy of that generosity. Is it true of you? Be inspired by all that generosity around you to, to join in that. Giving that pleases the Lord is indeed an expression of faith and faithfulness. Giving that pleases the Lord is an expression of love and compassion and even joy and cheerfulness. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7? Paul writes, as the Spirit guided him, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's what you and I want to be. In our giving, it's not a tax. 
Certainly it's not socialism where we're going to take it from some people and give it over there. This is voluntary. You seeking the Lord and giving as he is directing you because he is your Lord. So what do you do today if you discover, you know, I haven't been generous. It's not been a part of my Christian rhythms to be generous like this. What should I do? Well, first of all, perhaps it would involve correcting your thinking. Coming back to that idea, oh yes, I belong to the Lord, not to myself. And all I possess is his. Again, that idea from Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. That giving is a part of stewardship of the money he's put in your hands. Another thing you could do is just consider how am I investing the money he's given to me? Jesus brings that up in Matthew chapter 6, that it's foolish to invest in the here and now that you can't take with you. You have a better investment opportunity. You can invest in what is eternal. Here's what your Savior said in Matthew 6, 19 and following. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but... Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So giving is the better investment. It lasts for all eternity. Some today hearing this message might have to repent of a love of money. First Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Some might need to repent of an idolatrous relationship with money. First Timothy 6.17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And just one more. Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so in this context of giving to the poor in Jerusalem, we've picked up some insight on what should be reflective of us in our giving. May the Lord make us a generous people, all of us a generous people. But in all that giving, we would never outgive God. He is the ultimate giver in this. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Amen. So really the Christian life is not about what we give to him, though that's a part of it. Isn't it all about what he's offering to you? Jesus, nobody can be more rich than Jesus. He owns it all. But he left heaven, Why? He became poor and lived a dirty life in a dusty land to dial the cross, the ultimate poverty. He was raised from the dead and he's ascended to heaven. But his goal is to make you rich, but not in the here and now, like the false teachers say. By you trusting in Jesus Christ, cleansed of your sin, made righteous, as we said, adopted into the family of God. And one day you will be rich indeed for all eternity. You will go home to your father's house and you'll never have another problem no more strain at all, but Jesus became poor that you might share in that with him forever and ever. Your move today is to turn from trusting in yourself. Perhaps today, stop trusting in your money. Trust in Jesus Christ, the one who came to save you, who wants to take you home with him one day and actually wants to help you through this life even now. Pray with me. Lord, what a, what a wonderful giver you are. Everything we see about giving we see modeled in you first 
you have given to us out of great love over and over again. You gave us life. You are sustaining us even when it's difficult. And Lord, you gave us a savior and you've provided a home for us in heaven. Nobody's given more than you. And so I pray for men and women today, young people, to turn from sin and trust in you, to receive this gift of salvation, this gift of eternal life, where it will be glorious forever. We pray you'll do this work of saving. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.